Hello and welcome to the Lost Art Podcast. I'm Garen, I'm here with Paul. Hello. And this week we're going to be uh, talking about somebody we have talked about before previously, but only in small little doses. But this week we're going to give an entire episode to the man, the myth, the murderer, Phil Spector. Um, One of the most controversial names in music production history but also one of the biggest names in music production history, uh, the list of artists that he's worked with is not necessarily never-ending, but it's important who he worked with. And the uh, styles that he developed were very important, still used to this day, pretty much. Um, so Phil, Phil Spector, I'm going to give it a little a little quick runaround yeah. on, on, on who Phil Spector was, um, just so people understand, because we have covered a lot of this stuff, especially a lot of his, uh, him being mental. Uh, on, on other podcasts, yeah. on other songs, and we gave away a lot of stories. We will we'll definitely rehash a couple of those today. Uh, but we're going to go through a couple of his uh, songs, a couple of his big point songs. Um, if we have some background information, we'll give you some background information about it. But um, essentially, Phil Spector was known as kind of the the girl band group king or the kind of pop group king. Uh, straight out of high school, he started a band that done pretty well. Um, yeah. done pretty well. Our first song we're going to cover tonight will be that first band, one of his first uh, big hits that he that he done. How he got his name out there in the music industry. But where it starts getting interesting with Phil Spector is uh, when he starts getting married. His his involvement with women is where things start getting uh, really strange in in the Spector world. Um, his entire family situation is is crazy from start yeah, to mad. finish like it's it's mental um but his first marriage to a woman named annette mirar in 1963 she was the lead vocalist in a group called the specters three that he had set up um <clears throat> he was with her for a while but he ended up having an affair with this woman uh veronica bennett who he changed her name he made her change her name to ronnie specter and uh he was with her for a while as well he ended up getting married to her and uh, they got married in 1968 and they ended up adopting a son and uh, <laughs> I think the the year here's a weird one for you. The year that they adopted their son, that Christmas, as a Christmas present to Ronnie, he adopted two more kids as a Christmas present without telling her. So Christmas morning, she gets up and there's just two children in the house, wrapped up in wrapped yeah. up in uh, boxes. <laughs> exactly. I, I got us two more, honey. Uh, there yeah, for us. Right. I've got some pretty that, that that gets dark. I've got some stories about that. Oh uh, yeah, there's some, some horrific stuff. And uh, now Bennett goes on. We covered this before on our podcast, but I'll just give it again. Uh, she goes on and said she was held captive in the house that they lived in in California for years and years. Um, Phil had a glass casket made, like a, a snow white style casket, and he had that put in the basement. And he would bring Ronnie down periodically and bring Ronnie's mother down and show her the casket and say, if she ever tries to leave me. That's where she ends up. So we can come down and still see her every day. That's where mm. she's going. She's going into a glass casket. Um, eventually, she's able to escape her uh, kind of impromptu kidnapping that she was put under by her fella. Her mother helps her break out of the house and they escape uh, by dodging. It was, it was like escape from Auschwitz or something like this. It's a great escape. They uh, Dodging dogs and armed guards and stuff like that because Phil Spector wouldn't go anywhere without armed guards. He also wouldn't even walk around his own house without being armed because uh, he was attacked when he was very, very young, he was attacked in a bathroom by a lot of fellas and they kicked lumps out of him. So from that day onwards, uh, every penny he had, he put into like uh, weaponry and bodyguards. So he always mm-hmm. had armed guards. He, always, he was always armed himself. And uh, he had threatened to kill Ronnie Spector if she ever left him. So she had to sneak out the door. So when it came to that divorce settlement, Ronnie had to say that she didn't want any money off him. 
was no future earnings. There was going to be none of that type of stuff. And she also had to give up custody of the children. She wanted to keep the kids because she wanted to save the kids. But apparently what had happened is uh, Phil had got word to Ronnie and said, oh, I've hired a hitman. And if you try to do me over in this divorce proceedings here, basically I'm going to have you shot. And the kids are never going to have a mother. So you better leave them with me. So uh, he ends yeah. up with the kids. Now the kids go on to claim all sorts of stuff. I'll let you get into that later on. Um, about absolute batshit mad stuff that goes on in their life. Uh, in 1982, Spectre uh, has twins, has natural born twins with his girlfriend, uh, Janice Zavala, her name is. Um, but by the, he eventually moves on and has a third wife by 2000. And, oh, sorry, yeah. So we won to. This will be his third wife and his fourth major relationship, I think, that involves like children by 2006 um, uh, with a woman called Raquel Short. Um, now, one of the things people talk about with, with, with Phil Spector is, was he, was he batshit mad to begin with? Was he dangerous to begin with? Or was this a thing that kind of uh, creeped up? You know, was he, was he born like this? Was he born a killer? Was he born like a serial abuser? Was he born just well, he fucking... Has- the- he didn't have a great start. I no. don't. This, this is the major question that we'll never be able to answer. Exactly. There's loads of people who have been through wars. In fact, most people who've been through wars don't go on to to hurt other people. <laughs> exactly. Really. They yeah. take it internalizing because some of them don't make it out yeah. at all. But it's hard to know. It like I, I honestly believe he would not have been this bad has had his father not committed suicide yeah. and the mother not being super, super abusive. Yeah. And he was bullied his whole life. Now exactly. that's not me trying to excuse anything. You just no. have to, anyone would agree that that would cause a really bad start in your formative years to Very how you much. treat other people after that. Yeah. At the same time though, I will say, like I just said, most people don't. Most people don't get away with it. Now in 1976, he had a massive uh, car accident that proper fucked him up proper fucked him up he ended up with like um 300 stitches on his face 400 stitches to the back of his head um and this fucked up his hairline and his hair so whenever you see phil specter from the kind of uh, mid 70s on he's always wearing a wig that was always his gig he wears a wig and he wears really weird elaborate curly hair wigs and long hair wigs and multicolored hair wigs and um so there, there is a case to be made for i know a lot of a lot of famous people who ended up having trouble later in life, they can track a lot and awful lot of these kind of brain changes and changes in character back to big accidents yeah. as well. I think he was definitely... Uh, he was on the road, I think. Yeah, he's de- he was definitely yeah. on the road from a young age, but um, something like that car accident where he, he suffered massive head trauma probably wouldn't have helped the issue either, you know? Um, the big thing with Phil is the murder. The murder. Now, he'd been linked to, obviously, serial abuse, and uh, violence his entire life, especially against women. Uh, that that seemed to be his bag. Almost only against women. Yeah, because he he was a little small man, and I don't think he had the balls to put it up against anybody who could put it back up against him. You know, he was definitely no, not without a gun. That was just yeah, pain. exactly. Yeah. It was like the, the big thing was guns. Guns was he was obsessed with guns and a massive collection of guns. Walked around he had a different. Uh, he carried a different gun every day of the week. So exactly, he had, like he he set them out. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. So in 2003, um, Phil Spector shot the actress Lana Clarkson. Now, Lana Clarkson was like a B-movie actress. 
who appeared in loads of weird sci-fi and horror movies and she would have been known she was in like fast times at Richmond Hoy as almost mm. a glorified extra almost but she ended up doing a lot of B movies and sci-fi movies and because of this she was kind of well loved on the convention circuit especially amongst horror fans and science fiction fans there's, yeah. there's definitely uh definitely uh, it's, it's a career to be weird, chopped out there it's a weird episode we have to do today yes it is we have to talk about both sides of of the coin of him yep. and and the music is so incredible and innocent yeah yep. and like uh, it's yeah it's going to be a tough one but like there's no way we're not going to do an episode of Phil's on Spectre I'd be gas if someone said why are you why are you doing an episode on him he killed someone like hang on a second you listen to fucking things about Ted Bundy yeah exactly yeah well that's different no it's not <laughs> Exactly. Everybody's talking about Night Stalker our television show. Yeah. And he, he was a pedo murderer. You know what I mean? Like, oh, God. It's absolutely insane. So, but anyway, in 2003, shoots uh, Lana Clarkson. Now, he said, in his own words, uh, I think it was an accident because she was just kissing the gun. It was suic- it was an accidental suicide. She was yeah. kissing the gun and she pulled the trigger. But uh, one of the guys who worked for, for Phil in the house said that he's seen Phil, after he heard the gun go off, he's seen Phil walking around with the gun in his hand, saying, I think I've just killed somebody. And uh, he, <laughs> that guy ended up having to give evidence in court. You know, the first time it went to court, it was uh, deemed a mistrial. It was a hung jury. They couldn't decide whether this is going to be a thing or not. So he ends up getting away. I think he walked away in a $1 million bail package or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, while, uh, while he kind of was fully awaiting trial on that. Uh, it ends up going to trial again at the end of 2008 with the same judge. Uh, strangely enough, because I, I thought sometimes they might have, they have a big kind of mix up case like that, they might have to get a new judge in. But this time, the same guy, mm. St. George comes in, and uh, the retrial begins, and without a shadow of a doubt, he's found guilty. He's sentenced to 19 years to life, is uh, how he was deemed to serve his time, but he was old enough going in. He would have been eligible for parole in 2024, I believe, is when he would have been eligible, maybe to get out, and he probably would have, because from what I heard, he was like a, a model inmate. He just kind of kept to himself. And Again, he's a small guy. He doesn't have his bodyguards. He doesn't have his guns. He's just going to shut his mouth and go along with it, you know? Yeah. Uh, but he died the 13th of January 2021 of complications due to COVID-19. And uh, I don't think he was in the greatest of health for the last couple of years. Anyway, but... He couldn't talk. Yeah, exactly. For, uh, for, I think for the last few, last six, four years, something like that. It's crazy. He could talk. Crazy. Like, something happened is his voice. <laughs> yeah. Could have been all the jip. It could have been. It could have been just been used as a fleshlight in in prison. And fingers crossed that happened to him. He was a fucking scumbag. Talented scumbag, but a scumbag nonetheless. And there's absolutely no fucking need. Like you're talking yeah. about a guy who made millions upon millions and became their go-to guy for a particular sound and a particular. He, he style. was never going to be happy though. Like, no, based no. on his childhood, I don't think he could have ever been happy. No, no. Like, so, and the way he treated people was because of how he was treated, and it's sad that he didn't have the fucking neck to to not reproduce it. You know? What yeah, I mean? yeah, definitely, yeah. definitely. Well, look, we'll t- we'll talk about his music anyway. Yes. Because it's very, very interesting. Absolutely, fair. absolutely. So yeah. we should probably just jump into a couple of uh, a couple of the songs and get that motoring along. Yeah. And uh, I think, that, have I got the first one down? I think I've got you the do, first yeah. one. I've got the first one down. So uh, as I said earlier, one of his first bands coming straight out of high school was a band called uh, the Teddy Bears. And uh, Teddy Bears was a three-piece, sometimes a four-piece um, that kind of, but doing the, the kind of standard late 50s, early 60s, 
kind of pop you know cruising along in my automobile kind of malarkey yeah. but um a lot of the time a lot of these bands had to aim towards doing something not necessarily religious but something that could be considered to be uh, yeah. could go either way you know but they released a song called to know him is to love him in uh in in jesus what year was that uh 52? No, it was later than that. It was like 57 or 58 they released that. It? Yeah, and, and it was huge. It was a global sensation. It stayed in the Billboard Top 100 for 23 weeks. Um, it was number one yeah. for three weeks. Um, it done absolutely insane uh, insane business for something that was recorded for $75 in a local studio. But Phil yeah. had this idea about how he wanted it to sound, and he was really good at kind of, kind of mimicking what was really hot in the charts at the time, yeah. but also realizing that, well, if this is hot right now, I think going by older trends, this is what they're going to want with the next kind of wave of cool stuff. So he was able to start uh, throwing that kind of stuff in. So he wrote the song, he produced the song, and he performed the song as well. And uh, yeah. that from that point on, people start paying attention to him, and he uh, he ended up he ended up actually getting a job as a producer, kind of uh, not far off directly after this, and ended up owning a record label, became like the youngest record label owner in America at the time, and yeah. it just became huge. Uh, Annette Goldstein, actually, who, who was one of the singers in the Teddy Bears, she went on. She was uh, one of the singers in the the. The Rocky song, Gonna Fly Now. Gonna fly now. She was That's one of those. Yeah, it's an absolute banger. Um, she was yeah. one of those. But that was his, his first, that was the world's introduction to Phil Spector, was the teddy bears. It stuck around for a little while. None of the stuff they brought yeah. out afterwards done. Didn't do any particular great big shakes, but that was the one that made everybody go, like, who's this young fella? Like, he's 19 or something, like straight out yeah. of high school. He paid for it all himself. And this is, this song is killing it. And he, he never really had to, he never really struggled after this again. Um, with getting no. work. I think um, he'd moved to LA yes. uh, very young because yeah. after the suicide he moved there so that like literally that suicide had a mad effect on the rest Big of his life because it went Big down time. to it just they moved to LA then that's how he got into that band and stuff yep. like that that's actually where like I think the teddy bears is the first time he, he tried the wall of sound I think this so. famous it, thing that we're going to be talking about exactly, throughout yeah. the rest of the episode exactly I think he uh, <laughs> The way he's obviously the wall of sound is completely different than the way I'm about to describe it now. The first time he tried it is he played the, their demo tape mm. back over the studio speakers, yes, for them to over overdub another performance over yeah. it. So it's almost like a double version of it over it. Now yeah. it was an absolute mess, but that sort of gave way to oh, that's a nice big sound, though, yeah, isn't exactly. It? Yeah, so yeah. yeah, that's that's the first time that he, he did it with the teddy bears, I think. Um, Ooh. so who is your first one? My first one is one that would have came out about maybe five years after your one mm. when he was uh, sort of becoming a fully fledged producer. And it's um, Bobby B. Socks and the Blue Jeans version of Zippity Doodah from mm. 1962. So this is a really, really lovely, relaxed version of Zippity Doodah because mm. I don't like that Zippity Doodah song from <laughs> um, the 1940s Disney film Song of the South, which is, mm. you know, I don't, I don't know if we can people don't really talk about that so much anymore it's kind of a it's yeah. very very um what's antiquated in terms yeah, of like yeah, yeah. What, where people are now yeah but um this cover of it is really really good and it's uh the first first time that we ever see him doing the wall uh, sort of getting towards the wall of sound because yeah one of his engineers left on a guitar mic uh, over he overloaded it by accident yeah. like the level of it and it created a distorted sound. And then normally you would think that Phil Spector's kind of bollock him out of it. Yeah. But he shouldn't actually leave that. That's great. And this was another step towards this kind of wall of sound. Mm. 
or the Spectre sound because he was working on a formula of it. And the formula really started to take form later on because the mm. signature of it is one to three pianos, four, five, six guitars or layers of guitars, yeah. uh, a few basses, a yeah. few bassists. All different basses and bassists. Yeah. yeah. All different drums, loads and loads and loads of different types of drums and stuff like that. And if it's played together with his, his so he would, he would um, have the Wrecking Crew before they were called the Wrecking yeah. Crew. The Wrecking Crew are the greatest collection of session musicians from the 60s and 70s that yeah. ever existed. And he used gold studios because they had these echo chambers, which is just more, more of what he's going for, that exactly, reverb. Yeah. A big sound. basement with speakers and yeah. in it, wasn't it? Yeah. So that, that distorted sound that he got by accident um, from, from that thing, that gave way to the fuzz pedal, which everyone went mad for. The Beatles yeah. went mad for and all. Like that. So even though I think that was actually created in the 60s, I think it was mastered around or sort of fixed around when they heard what he was doing. So that's that sort of gave mm. way to the fuzz pedal. And that was Bobby B. Socks and the Blue Jeans. And that's just a little kind of start. It's just, I actually really, really like this version of the song. Mm. I would never, ever listen to the, the Disney one. But when you listen to this, it's mad trippy, like 60s yeah, version yeah. of it. Um, so yeah, that's just the start of that, and my sort of forced choice for for one of his songs. Yeah. Still a mentaler, just saying, just saying that. Batch it, mad dude. Yeah, because yeah, I, I remember not reading men, about. Not, you can't really say mentaler anymore. Can, can you? I don't know. Really, no. maybe, maybe if they're no. like a full bar murderer. That's back. what I was thinking. Like, yeah, like, mad, in the, mad in the bad sense. Not yeah, mad in the like. Mental health. No, um, we're not talking about them people that actually need help. Like Phil Spector needed a fucking needed a gun put at him is what he needed. Um, the manners on him. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's what he, he needed to hire some some bodyguard that just goes around with a gun pointed at him. Going, not, not today, Phil. Not not now. You know, stop yeah, being a scumbag. Nice. Yeah, exactly. Because nice uh, I remember reading yeah, so, about the sound. And one of the big things apparently that he liked doing was he he had this idea. Apparently, he had this like picture in his head of what the sound frequency. On a, of a tape was like and how to fill it so he would bring yeah. in like tubas and stuff like that like weird instruments and they'd only be barely audible on the tape but they'd fill up a chunk of frequency that like that real estate that wasn't being used by mm. your instruments you know like absolutely insanity and it, it, it becomes a bit much like almost in the middle of his career as well um i think we've got a couple of those songs where you, you listen to it and you go like this sounds really good but fucking hell man there's a lot going on you know yeah, there's a lot going on. It's the, 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 I don't know what in terms of reverb was used. It was mm. just that echo chamber and stuff like that. I don't really understand a huge amount about reverb, but I know it does involve echo, <laughs> surely. Yeah, yeah just a really close, yeah. close echo. Yeah. Generally a very close echo, yeah. yeah. So um, another thing he used to do is he wasn't a fan of doing edits or anything like that yeah. or retakes or anything mm. like that. Well, retakes. He would make them practice for hours yes. in the studio. All the guitar players would have to act. All the musicians <laughs> would have to be in even earlier than the singers mm. going over it till they had it, till they all built into the muscle memory. Wasn't making a mistake, so it could all be tight and all played together. So yeah, yep. Um, that was my first one anyway. Who's cool. your next one? My next one is. Let me just double check if I have the right one. It's a uh, yeah. <laughs> I have what I have written down is different from what's on the list as well. Um, we're we're, we're a bit disorganized today. We're recording mad early. And, yeah, it's um, very early. It's still bright out, and I just had a coffee. That's how early it is. Um, uh, the Beatles' "Let It Be." 
which yeah. I think ha- has to be has to be has to be thrown in there. So the twelfth and the final uh, studio album by the Beatles came out on the eighth of May, nineteen seventy. And worst, <laughs> uh, yeah, it's not, it's it's not great. Uh, it, it came out one month after the band broke up. Uh, the generally unfavorable reviews, uh, yeah. it, it wasn't really a thing. So by sixty eight, the Beatles had quit touring. They were like, we'll record and we'll do studio stuff, and but we're not touring anymore. Maybe we'll do the odd gig every now and again, but. This is not really our bag. Um, but boy, uh, Paul McCartney was, a couple of years later, Paul McCartney was like, this is bullshit. I want to tour it again. But apparently Harrison and Lennon were like, I just can't do it anymore, man. I just really don't want to do it. Um, and like, it was getting to the point where Harrison had like left the band twice and came back and shit like that as well. He was, mm. he, he just had enough of, of being on the road. He wanted to kind of do some normal stuff and, you know, do some fucking yoga or whatever uh, George wanted to do. And, um, so they came up with this idea, as a idea of like, why don't we make an album that's a bit more rock and rolly? Let's leave the psychedelic trippy shit behind us. We've done that already. Why don't we go a bit back to our roots and uh, let's let let's like videotape the whole thing? And th- they were going to make a movie, the the Let It Be movie, and then there was going to be a documentary about the making of the album and all this kind of shit. Mm-hmm. And um. Spectre had always wanted to work with the Beatles and he, he was um he was kinda of gearing up, he was gonna do some work with Harrison solo, he was gonna do some work with uh Lennon solo. But apparently Paul McCartney was like he did, he was he wasn't mad into what No, he didn't, what he didn't was like doing. that sound at yeah. all. He wanted yeah. like uh, like apparently when they were doing when they were doing like Let It Be, it was supposed to be much more uh, much more kind of restrained and, and most of the stuff on the album was like if Paul McCartney was playing something on piano he was like I'm playing I just can we not just have a bit of piano and stripped like, back just yeah, to what it is yeah. it's, me, yeah. it's me singing with a piano and it'll sound really nice but like what had happened is they'd record it and it sounded really nice and they'd come back in two days later to the studio and um Spectre had like brought in an orchestra and done his whole echo chamber trick, his full wall of sound treatment to it. And all of a sudden, this huge, massive, big song <laughs> is there. And McCartney's like, what the fuck happened, man? I left here two days ago and we had it down, like it was 100%. Because George Martin was also a producer on this album. Like, it, it, they used to have this saying where it was produced by George Martin and overproduced by Phil Spector. That's what yeah. they used to say. Because didn't they, they had a, they re, they re, they redid this album, didn't they? Without um, yeah, they done that weird, there's a, there's a weird version of this album that, that's doing the rounds. I can't remember what it's called. Um, it's called the Despectered version. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Paul McCartney calls it anyway, because he, he couldn't let that go. He said he couldn't listen to the album with the way it was done. Yeah, yeah they came out. There was one, I think it was originally a bootleg, and I think originally, then, then it got a re-release a couple of years later. Yeah. Um, that was kind of the George Martin version of the album that was that was put out. Now, listen, see this song... Let's just be honest, the, the production is not really the problem with this album, really. <laughs> no, it's it's not. It's just, it's not a good album. Um, Let It Be is actually a great song. This I like song that here, song, yeah, yeah. I do like it, yeah. Um, but for the rest of the album, there's a few little bits and bobs in it that are all right. But I thought, I think Lennon, Lennon liked the, the chaos of it. Um, he seemed to thrive in, in, in that kind of chaotic... He didn't oh, he know what was that, going yeah. to happen. He hated uh, the album, but he loved recording it. Exactly, said. yeah, exactly. And um, so, uh, well, McCartney was was kind of the opposite. He he hated everything about it. He was like, I don't like the way it sounds. I don't like this fella. I think he's a bit fucking weird. And uh, he's yeah. shouting all the time and shit like that. And he's like, we're the Beatles. Like, shut the fuck up. 
Like, if you talk to me like that, I'm going to break your job. Yeah, exactly. We're, we're <laughs> still the from, Beatles. I would say exactly. that every day. To everyone. Yeah, 100%. Like, we're still who we are. Like, we're still from a bleeding <laughs> kip. You know what I mean? We, we might be hanging around fucking India, messing around with yeah. Sitaras the last few years, but I'm still from a dirty part town. I'll knock the teeth out of your head, you know? So, um, <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> I'd say stuff like that did happen because um, I, I know yeah. uh, I, I think uh, one of them ended up in a, in a fist fight with him on a, a couple of occasions hmm. um, later on in the career I think we're going to talk maybe a little bit about that later but uh, yeah. he, yeah, apparently Spectre got when it came to this album he had final say on edits mixing and overdubs so it didn't even matter what the band said can you imagine uh, poor old George Martin during all this going, oh, what, what's he here for? Look, have we not done all right so far? You know what I mean? Um, yeah. I think a lot of this album that was written on the fly as well uh, oh, yeah, in sure. there. I think they had a few little bits and bobs and they came in, they're all rounding over like arrangements and, you know, who gets to do what and who's singing what and who's playing what and do we really want to do that song? Because the concept was yeah. we want to do a rock and roll album. You know, let's do a rock and roll album. And uh, yeah. they didn't really get that. Uh, and Spectre didn't no. get that. He was making a pop album. He was the spot, the pop specialist. You know, if you wanted, if you had like the, the last kind of 20 years, you had Dr. Dre, you brought in, you wanted to make a pop kind of hip hop record. But back then, you wanted to make a pop record that's going to sell bajillions of copies. Spectre was one of the guys you had to have in there because people got yeah, used they, to the sound. They, they, like, they don't, they, there's some producers who don't really care how commercial, literally well the album does. Yeah. But then there's producers who only care about that. And Spectre was one of them. Yeah, he 100%. Wanted, yeah. It that sounds amazing, more. but he but he he wanted it to be number one every oh, time. Yeah, exactly. Song. Like I'm I'm sure in his head he was doing the best service to the Beatles that they'd ever had. Like he well at the same time he's doing the service that he was brought on to do. And exactly. That is the sound he, he exactly. gave people. Exactly. I don't think it, I don't think it's a good mix. No, it it, it doesn't work. Does um the the Beatles like when you, you look back at the other stuff that he does with kind of those guitar driven bands or like super muso bands because yeah. his history is with kind of vocal groups you know and he, should have, he should have done yeah he should have done a Beach Boys album not the yeah. fucking Beatles exactly well I, I know that um that um uh, Brian Wilson was obsessed with Phil Spector yeah and, a bit of that as well he was yeah. a massive fan of him but and, that's, that's where I presume he got the idea for the sound I think so yes yeah. so, like, yeah. he took those ideas and ran with them himself anyway that was that was the Beatles with Let It Be uh, we're not going to we're not going to hang around the songs too much because the story is too big we're just I think I think what, what we're trying to do yeah. today is that a lot of people would have seen in the last week or two that some fella called Phil Spector died and they're saying he was a record producer and if you're not a super mad muso who has like been not necessarily following the bloke's career, but um, if you're not old like us, where he was doing yeah, shit, yeah, that's the best way to put it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like he he was important when we were young fellas. Not necessarily during the time of us being kids, but like the music we were listening to that had been knocking around for a couple of years. He was like, there wasn't a day that went by where there wasn't some sort of Phil Spector song played on the radio. When we were kids, yeah. you know. Um, so this is more for people uh, who don't if, know who Phil Spector is. Yeah, and if you listen to this playlist, it's incredible. Yeah, it's like it's it really is. I'm not saying we we've picked it. We're saying it's incredible because of what the songs, what they are, and who who produced. Yeah, them. big time, big time. Anyway, who's your next one? My next one is the Crystals with "Do Run Run," the "Do Run Run" from 1963. Um, this is the song with the first collaboration between Jeff Barry, Ellie Greenwich, and Phil Spector. Yeah, um, he looks so fine. Yeah. yeah, it's it's a banger. It's just yeah. a great song. Like uh, it was composed over two days in Spectre's office yeah. in New York, and the title "Do Run Run" was just uh, a placeholder mm. until they figured out what uh, they were going to put in there. 
and it was sang so many times that uh, he'd like it. He goes, you know what, I actually like that. Mm. That you ran around. So they just kept it. He wanted the song to be lyrically simple the whole way through, so that oh, kind yeah. of lent itself well to that. that it's one. a kind of boy meets girl kind of thing. He <coughs> wanted the voice and the sound. The voice and the sound to be and the sound of the like the production of it to be forefront. Mm. Like I said before, he wasn't big on editing, so they spent a huge amount of time in the studio. A lot of people don't know this though, and if you listen really, really, really closely, one of the backing vocalists is actually Cher. Oh weird. Yeah, that's mad. Um so he was doing some stuff with Sonny Bono, I think, at the time. Mm. And he might have even been about to do some stuff with Sonny and Cher. I'm not hundred percent sure, mm. but they were in the studio at the time. And him and Sonny Bono knew each other. And when just to get just to give uh, Lala Brooks the singer something a little extra, I think that's crazy. Like, because if you listen back, um, I, 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 you know, when like I, I went back to listen to it and I can convince myself I can hear Cher, but I don't mm, know if I can. Yeah. You know I mean? I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure I can, but mm. I could just be in my head, you know, like. I don't know. Like someone could tell me tomorrow. No, that was a lie. She wasn't even on that. And I'm like, okay, yeah. <laughs> but she was. She was. Well, you can over. hear her. Yeah, it would yeah. be the same. One hundred percent. When um when they played it, the final product over the radio, uh, Spectre turned to Sonny Bono and said, "That is pure gold." Yeah, we're witnessing right now, and it it did really really well. It went to number three in the billboards in America. Very good. Uh, hit number five in the UK and number one in Canada. So that was again more evidence of his songwriting and. Uh, production ability. It's mad that like, the, like it used to be just raw talent was taken and given to producer, a yeah. writer producer. A writer producer is a mad thing if you think about it. Like, like it still happens, obviously in pop music. But, oh yeah, and, and this was pop music, but we're so used to the rock element of you bring your songs to the producer. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then you have a say in production. Not like, listen, these girls can sing. Do something with them. Yeah, they have the, a great look. They can great look and they exactly, can sing. So. Yeah. The fifties, the fifties and sixties was such a weird time for, um, like random singers and groups being plucked out of obscurity because they looked apart and they couldn't. They were they were talented enough, but they were just handed over to someone, um, or or, or shopped around with songs. So some random dude in like Albuquerque wrote a song and he sold it to the record label for twenty dollars, yeah, exactly, yeah. and that just sits then in in, in a foiling cabinet. Or- or they cover us. They wouldn't even consider them covers then, but they did a song that would only been out the year before. And oh didn't yeah, do too. that was a big. Like, Hang on a second. That's yeah. a great song. Let's try that again with a different band. That's 100%. fucking mad. Like, it's mad yeah. the way like that the formation of the modern record industry, kind of as we know it, <laughs> is it prob- probably geo podcast boyos because the the way it was set up was absolutely insanity. Yeah. Like, insanity. Like every time you, like every time I checked one of these songs. It's a good chance it wasn't the original. Oh yeah, yeah. Like it, and, and the original would be like, "Whoa, when did it come out? Like ten years before that? Like one year before that?" Exactly. Like even that so, yeah. teddy bear, the teddy bears, the Nomis, the love them. Like I think Amy Winehouse covered that song. Uh, yeah. Like who else covered it? Just it was been three or four covers of it. Like in the last twenty years, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like these these songs. Yeah, I think you... I think a lot of people don't know that he was in a band that went to number one straight oh, away. Yeah, yeah. Like the first band he, he was he, in, he, Out of Skill, yeah. number one hit. Like yeah. what it, you know absolutely yeah. insanity and because he was he was known as being uh he was known for being a producer but uh, like his songwriting ability was like he definitely had that like keep it simple stupid kind of formula you know what i mean where he, he, a lot going on in the background exactly that, like, he, he knew about that they didn't need to know about exactly let's like, just sing the bit and fuck off and then uh just make sure you're good at it and then we'll we'll figure it out later you know exactly let's get this well done. that was that was uh, the Crystals do run run. Yep. I don't think we need to play any of these. Songs. No, no, no. Most of these songs people are going to know. 
Go on. Who's your next one? Uh, my next one is who is my next one is uh, I Cantina Turner with River Deep Mountain High. And, yeah, this uh, is a mad one. I only knew. I only realized recently that he uh, did this. Yeah, this is this is a, this is a big one. So this came out in 1966. Uh, uh, Spectre considers this uh, considers this to be the greatest thing he's ever done. He thinks that this is perfect. Um, yeah. He thinks he was firing on all cylinders when this when this song came out. Um, it was I'd more successful. Agree. It is yeah, great. It's it it amazing. It was more successful in Europe than it was in America. Uh, yeah. Done okay, uh, not necessarily a flop, but it done all right in in, in the states. But it done particularly yeah. good in Europe, like really, really good in Europe. Um, strangely enough, when uh, Phil had this weird relationship with Tina Turner, he wasn't he wasn't actually a big Tina Turner fan. Um, especially when when Ike died, he gave like a little eulogy at his funeral and he said uh because uh, turner brought out a book you know uh, uh vilifying oik saying he battered her and all this type of shit which he did he was a scumbag and but like phil stood up at his funeral and said like uh, tina kind of made a bollocks of of a relationship here because like i turner was was the talented one he was the one that that everybody was chasing around and on any given night that i turner had five women on stage doing backing vocals for him and any one of them could have been a tina turner like she just got lucky this is what he said like any one of them could have been lucky now tina came out i don't think he just had no respect for women (laughs) no he just sounds of it yeah he just wasn't like into being sound with women whatsoever. Yeah. Um, Tina Turner herself said, listen, uh, this song was made so well, written so well that yeah, I think she said that she didn't say it was a shame that she was on it or Ike was on it, but she said that because they were black, it was put into the R&B charts. Well, if they yeah. had kept their identities secret or had a white duo singing it, that it would have been number one worldwide without a shadow Absolutely, of a doubt. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, but yeah. the fact that it was forced into the R&B charts and the black charts, quote unquote, um, because uh, they 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 were African American, it, it was almost a disservice to the song, you know. But he he went out of his way. That was to, that was protecting white number ones. One hundred percent, because they wouldn't have had a chance. About two decades, they wouldn't have had a white no one. fucking way, man. <laughs> Not with the savage shit that was being put into that R&B charts. Like yeah. now, we look back on it and we go like, fucking. You got Elvis, a couple of great Elvis songs. Um, to be fair, which are mostly probably written by black people or stolen <laughs> off them. Yeah. Um, a little bit. Yeah, j- just a little not to, bit. Not to, we always say this about Led Zeppelin and uh, Elvis. We're not saying they don't do anything, but we have to, we have, feels right to throw it in there. Oh, yeah, have to, just, just a little dig. Just <laughs> just a little, you know. Okay, yeah, Elvis, you're a great man, you're a great performer, you're iconic, and you know, you live forever, and I'll say, sure you, but you're a robbing bastard. Uh, one of the goofy, yeah. you cunt. Exactly. I know what you did. Yeah, <laughs> I, I know what you did last summer. Robbing bastard. Um, but yeah, that's um, that's all you can see in a turner with uh, River Deep Mountain High, which is, uh, does have that that that's a great example of that wall of sound feel because when when it, when it when it's kicking off, it sounds like it's going a thousand miles an hour, but it's so full, like there's so much going on, it's almost overload, you know. Uh, yeah. But it's it's it's, fa- it's a cracking song. It's it's a great midpoint in this uh, this playlist as well. So yeah. who who is your next one? My next one is a very important one for the Phil Spector story, and it's "Be My Baby" by the mm. Ronettes. So. Um, Ronettes, you mentioned earlier before, uh, Ronnie Bennett was the lead singer of the Ronettes. Mm. And when Phil Spector heard them, he went, I want to manage and produce you. Yeah. Um, he created amazing, amazing hits for the band. Um, like you, like you were saying earlier, he came off an affair with his first wife. Yep. And he took over this band and 
sort of took her, her life over basically yeah everything was going through him do you know what i mean so be my baby was um actually it's such a good song right it, it, this is my probably my favorite song on the play, possibly my favorite song on the playlist i think i absolutely just love this song yeah never listened on the radio or something like that like it's also well not that i listen to the radio much anymore but i never hear it like in a shop or anything like that yeah it used to be one of those things that was on all the time especially on all like, the time maybe all, yeah. all maybe that's it being all maybe, the time maybe just for that that age we're not going to hear it from the 60s but um this was uh billboard named it the number one on their list of the 100 greatest girl group songs of all time mm. so if you take into account like <sighs> girls allowed Mm. Steps, steps. No, steps had a couple of fellas. In yeah, them. you know, everybody want to look at it. Spice Girls, Spice Girls. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, what, was, sorry, what I remember that was the, the guys Temptations. No one remembers the guys in Steps except H. No one remembers their voices. So, no. They're, as far as I understand, they're like a girl-led band. Unless, they, um, unless they had a rap bit. If they had a rap bit, you remember. <laughs> yeah, they, they, they all yeah. had a rap bit at one stage. <laughs> but yeah, like it says, Spice Girls, Bananarama. Uh, this is this is what most people consider number one to be the number one girl group song mm-hmm. of all time, and it's it's hard to to argue. Um, Ronnie Spector is actually the only singer on the song. Oh, very cool. Uh, the rest of the Renettes did not appear on it for whatever reason. Uh, maybe Spector had this similar thing, like that's who was going to be repeated. Oh, exactly. He's good at layering anyway. So, mm. um, this has been stated as being one of the most influential songs for the how. Thereafter, the the recording of pop music yeah. and the influence of Beach Boys. This song is the one that um got the Beach Boys. It got them. Yeah, Brian Wilson said that this is the greatest pop song ever. Ever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this is the this is his one that made gave him all the uh, so the Wallace sound and the approach to pop, where you can have like there's a sort of sadness about this being my baby and a lot of these 60s songs mm. if you go back and listen to them they're pop even the happy ones have a sort of melancholy feel to oh them. yeah definitely and i don't know if it's the production or i don't know it's it's how much effort <laughs> and emotion is going into the vocals that mm. it's more intense pop music but then again pop music back then was a different thing it was huge yes. it was amazing yeah it was popular because it was so good exactly. nowadays pop is popular not necessarily because it's good it's just that that's like you've touched on the way the record labels have pushed it. Yeah, yeah. They control it now. It exactly. used to be, it's a genre to, now. Like people used to control what was good. Now the record label figured out somewhere along the way, holy shit, we can tell them what's good. Exactly. Even like with river deep mountain high, when that was released and that didn't do as well in America. Mm. Um, that's like the, that's like the public, the public got it wrong. Yeah. Let's, let's be honest. Yeah. Telling them, or it could be, it could be badly uh, promoted from mm. radio and stuff like that. But that was a time when the re- the, the the public would say no. Mm. Now that, that does happen sometimes. Still, it happened with Taylor Swift. It can happen with certain people where sometimes the public go, you know what, that's not that great anymore. Yeah, and the record label has to go back to the drawing board. But most of the time, if they have a new artist, you are going to hear them, and you will be told that they are brilliant. Yes, yes, yes. That's the end of it. So that was a big hit for him. That was a big uh, hit. hit personally bad hit mm. for for him at the time i think he stopped doing it for a while but this um you, you touched on a lot of stuff about about her her horrible home life with him because he'd also yeah. done it on her podcast as well so we mm. don't want to keep retreading too much all ground. but he had uh, three adopted children like you mentioned yep and dante phillips and gary of 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 two of them 
they claimed that Spectre made them lose their virginity to Spectre's then girlfriend. Yeah, after, I read something like that, Graham. Or that's the yeah for their birthday, I think it was or something like mm. that, and like pretty much well underage, I think. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah, that's, that's there, there, there was also some grimness where I think one of them had said, I, th- I think both of them might be dead now. I'm not sure, but um, one of, one of them died of leukemia. I think. Yeah, one, sorry, one of his uh, one of his other adopted children died of leukemia. Yeah, I, I think one of them said that he, he, this is this is again this is just this is something I read. I don't know it's real. Um, it's very hard to get stuff on it's this. So stuff. difficult. But one of them said that he used to put like bags over their heads and make them like grope him while he messed around with his girlfriend as well. Like, oh, like I, I don't, I don't know. Like, like with his fucked up childhood, and then you know him trying to raise children. I can only imagine how fucked up they were as well. You know, especially without like, their mother. Like, you know, <laughs> exactly. You know, like, talking about like, like choice abandoned. You know, like they, they, they were given up for adoption. Um, as I don't think they were babies either when they were adopted. I think they, they might have been a couple of years old, and then, uh, then the mother leaving them, and. Like forcefully against our will, you know, I'm being left with this fucking maniac. In, yeah, like a lot of people go, mansion. "How did you leave? Her, how did could you leave her children?" She was terrified for her life. For her life, and they were ne- they weren't ever going to have a mother if she was dead. You know, at least she yeah, might have a chance to stay have in their life. Yeah, and just getting through it, and hopefully, like, thankfully, he has enough money to keep them fed at least. Exactly, um, probably somebody working there that can keep an eye. You know, and he may she may not have seen anything that would. Leader to believe she was going to do that thing with the the new girlfriend. Yeah, and the, who knows? Kids. Who fucking well, knows? Yeah, just mentally scared from having to look at a coffin with mm. a glass lid downstairs. When you're going in that, yeah. So yeah, um, she probably did the right thing in a sense. Also, back then she might not have had a say. She didn't get the money. <sighs> probably, the probably. Money. Yeah. Anyway, that's uh, that's that's my favorite one. I I think it's my favorite one of the mm. list. Um, be my baby by the Ronettes. Yeah. Um, she said in an interview. He is an amazing producer and the lousiest of husbands. Yeah, so that sort of sums him up yeah. really pretty much. Not, not enough, but it, it sums him up. <laughs> Who's your next one? Uh, my next one is the Ramones with another Ronette song, uh, Baby, I Love You. Which It's mad that we've gone from the Ronettes like, and the uh, the Crystals to, to a dip in his toe in the Beatles and then yeah. going fuck into punk. Like yeah. That's some... That's some stretch, isn't it? Now, apparently, he had wanted to work with the Ramones for years, for years, and because uh, this album this came out in nineteen eighty on Sawyer Records, and th- they they never like Tommy Ramone, their drummer, he was doing most of production for them uh, yeah. from, from they, the start. They didn't really care that much about it. Not right? really. But, like, it although was it just, did sound great, I did does for for the time, and even now, some of it sounds amazing. But they weren't really. They they were a punk band with pop sensibilities. Like, yeah. um, you think about how they even named themselves after stuff like the Ronettes and like uh, the Spectre's tree and all like him giving Ronnie Spectre that name and that type of shit like they they are kind of embroiled in some sort of weird dance somewhere along the line you know and but apparently the record labels record labels uh, Sawyer I can't believe talk today uh, they were we normally have a few drinks and a bit later Bit like a bit relaxed, man. I have all my jobs done. Very, I'm in my jammies. Yeah, yeah, I've got a belt and all on me now. I'm like a real human. <laughs> I look like a real person. Like, oh, I could, I could go to shop right now and nobody look at me. Um, but uh, apparently the record label were like, maybe like, there might be a bit of, bit of like pop music to be squeezed out of the Ramones because the songs are catchy. But maybe if we can kind of, you know, get a bit of a mid-paced clip out of them instead of them bursting through all this stuff and get some production into them and shit like that. Maybe we can uh, we can make some more money out of them. Even. 
So apparently they were like, I don't know about Phil Spector. Like he does all, like, they loved all that music. They loved all that kind of girl band, the boy band stuff as well. And yeah. uh, they were like, I don't know. Though. Will you see how, how we're going to make it? Because you have to remember, we've done a, a, done a show about the Ramones a while ago, about how much they all hated each other. Like talking about a band ready to yeah. fucking explode. And then you put me in the studio with Phil Spector. So uh, nobody liked recording under Phil Spector from the Ramones. There was, it, it I'm was not surprised there. It was all very. Uh, oh, this this was been, the, this was the early eighties, wasn't this it? This was nineteen eighty. So oh, where he's full batshit, yeah, full batshit mad. So he's out and out known to be a fucking head case. He was obsessed yeah. with guns and shit like that. And uh, again, we could probably covered this song before. Um, or we might not have covered this song. But we definitely covered this session where he, they were doing rock and roll high school and he made Johnny Ramone play like the opening chord like 500 fucking times. And they were all <laughs> identical. Uh, uh, and he just kept, no, again, no, again, no, again. And, like literally hundreds of times until they just stumbled upon the one where Phil went, that's the one. And he was like, fucking hell, all right. Okay, right, we'll see you tomorrow. He's like, no. We have to do the rest of it now. So it was just everything was done. Like in, Tina Turner said when she was recording um, uh, Mountain High River Deep, and uh, uh, she was saying that like she must have sang that song like five thousand times until he decided it was right. That was his gimmick. It's just do it, do it, do it, do it. But the, yeah. the the Ramones were not used to this whatsoever. They're used to going in. Here's a, exactly <laughs> like just literally pissing through it. Saying, here we go, uh, there's 10 grand for a month in a studio, some random halfway decent studio. We've got Tommy Ramone, he's our drummer, um, so that's double duty. He's going to produce it, engineer it, and play the drums. Like, savage. We get this done yeah. in two weeks' time. So all of a sudden, they had this budget of $200,000 uh, $200, in 1980 to record this album, End of the Century, for Sawyer. And Phil Spector was going to take full advantage of this. So he, yeah. apparently he told them, uh, apparently doing Baby I Love You wasn't even a thing. They weren't going to do it. But while they were in the studio, he was like, you should record one of my songs. You should you should do a cover of one of my songs. Because he was mad for covers. Because that was the stuff that he'd been doing and working with, they were doing covers as well. Like you said, all redos of all their songs. Yeah. So they were like, oh, I don't know, man. They're not really into covers like we do we do spider-man and that's you know that's good but we don't want to you know we don't really want to do cover covers no you have to do you should do the renettes you should you should do baby i love you like it'll really really work and i'm like i don't know i don't know and then they done it like, that's really fucking good actually that sounds amazing and to this day it's for me it's one of the better uh ramon songs it's so fucking good i like it i like song. it a lot yeah like, it's, it sounds amazing it's it almost sounds like a christmas song um, it's that yeah, big. yeah. Because he, uh, Phil Spector, put out what what is considered to be one of the greatest Christmas albums of all time, really, really early in his career. It was almost like a compilation with loads of loads of people he'd worked with in the past and people that he hadn't worked with in the past, and he put them together, wrote a lot of songs, little Christmas songs, and put it out. And still to this day, people talk about this kind of Spector compilation of Christmas albums or Christmas songs. Well, um, apparently he walked around with the gun constantly. Uh, there was rumors that like Dee Dee Ramone said that like he held the gun to my head. Uh, because Dee Dee said, this is bullshit. Like, I would have been done recording all my bits like six weeks ago by now. And you, you <laughs> yeah. still you still have me coming in and fucking doing all this bullshit. And he said, I'm going to leave. And Spectre pulled the gun out and held it to his head and said, oh, you're free to leave whenever you want. Like, just walk out the door there, you prick. Go on, go on, walk out the door. But then yeah. Johnny, um, and Johnny would have been 
very much kind of pro-gun advocate and uh, a lot more conservative and right-wing, was like, oh, no, he was great to work with. You know, I don't think the stuff worked. Um, I don't think the no, stuff uh, worked pretty well on the people, heavy, there, fast there, stuff. There's the, a lot of people, even after the, the murder, who are still like, he, he's, he's grand, he's grand, he's good, he's brilliant. Because they gave... They got what they wanted from him, and to them, that you know, he's just a king. Of course. Well, they also are, are stocked now with uh, requests also, for, just, for interviews for the next fucking yeah. twenty years. Like, you so know I, I should say, I should say like that as well. Like he hadn't killed someone by then, but yeah. they had known of that. His we shit. know of that. We know. That we of. know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We don't need threatened to kill loads of people. Uh, but yeah, yeah that was the uh, end of the century with Ramones, which is actually, it's one of those albums that. Ramones purists don't like it, but it's a perfectly good introduction to the Ramones for people. It doesn't really sound like the Ramones, not really, um, in its style, but it is recorded yeah. very well. And it's, it's a famous, famous, uh, album. There's, there's a documentary called End of the Century, or Story of the Century as well, which chronicles a lot. They have a kind of videotape and stuff like that of them recording that album. And it was, it was hairy. There's not a lot of screaming and shouting and Joey hiding in the corner, that type of stuff. But, um, by the time they were done, you did it. You ended up with bangers like this song. Uh, yeah. Like I said, Johnny Johnny didn't think that the faster, heavier stuff worked well with his his production techniques. But he said the right. the, the lighter, slower, kind of more poppy stuff definitely took advantage of his style and really, really worked. You know. So yeah. uh, that's the Ramones. Who is your next one? My next one is the Righteous Brothers. You've lost that love and feeling. So good. Another, that song is that that put chills up here. Ooh, 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 ooh. So uh, good. 19, 1964. The last few I've picked are. Literally a year between each other, I think. Yeah, he worked like a pig in the mid-60s. Yeah, he did. So here's the thing, right? Spectre was on the road with the Renettes at the time, and he saw this band playing. They were supporting the Renettes, the Righteous Brothers. Mm. They had a few minor hits, and when he <coughs> saw them in 1964, he went, yeah, I'm going to get you signed, and I'm going to be your producer. Mm. So that was, they were like, oh, well, okay, yeah, you've got, I don't know if the, he had a, he had a number one production wise at that stage, but mm. they, everyone knew who he was. Everyone knew who the Renettes were. They were supporting mm. the Renettes. You go with him. Um, so he did. You've lost that love and feeling. But an interesting one I was going to pick was Unchained Melody. Yeah. Well, here's a really interesting fact about Phil Spector. He never did the album cuts. He only did the big singles. True. Almost all of the acts we've picked. Mm. I don't know if he. Uh, a couple of John Allen ones maybe. He did all them, but most of the time, he just did a couple of the big, maybe two to three singles yeah. of the thing, and leave the rest to someone else. Yeah. People like basically say, "You can't afford to get me to the rest of the album." And also, if he wasn't going to hear them on the radio, he didn't give a shit. Yeah, yeah. So he here's the thing about uh, he he did record a song called "Hung on You," and "Unchained Melody" was the B side. But when Hung On You didn't do too well, DJs flipped it over and started playing this song, Unchained Melody. Mm. And it got huge. Yeah. And that enraged Phil Spector mm. because his song wasn't being played on the radio. Sick Although what he then said was, see, he left the rest of the album cuts to Bill Medley, who was the second half of the Roger Brothers, yeah. who produced their stuff before Phil Spector ever came along. Um, he Bill Medley said that Phil Spector would always put a throwaway song that wasn't meant to be played on the mm. b-side yeah so that it would never happen this wouldn't this situation could never happen yeah yeah but he put fucking unchained melody on the b-side yeah and all the djs went whoa whoa yeah <laughs> whoa. It has to be one <laughs> of the actually, greatest songs start, ever written they actually started a fake whoa that turned into the whoa <laughs> <laughs> um 
And then all of a sudden, Phil Spector is on the is being then credited as the producer, of course, uh, of Unchained Melody because he's on the sessions, yeah. which Bill Medley said he absolutely disputes. And he said, like, listen to the piano playing, and that's me. He goes, yeah. if I had a thought this was going to be a huge song, I would have got one of the Wrecking Crew or something in to do yeah, this. Yeah, yeah, someone good. Um, so I think I'm not sure whether there was a fixed up version or something like that. I'm not really 100 sure, but Maybe I found it very interesting. Maybe yeah, because because at the at the time, Medley was picking up all these tips from Phil Spector because he mm. was going to be, he was a producer already of yeah. stuff, you know. It might not have been as good as Phil Spector, so I don't know. I don't know. You'd have to get a professional to listen to the both of them and say, yeah. it, there's, a, there's an ongoing dispute as to who is, but as of now, Phil Spector is down as, as a producer. Of Unchained Melody. I'd say you now, just had, had that written in, uh, yeah. in a contract somewhere. I was like, I'm not, well, this had to taken off. And I was kind of involved in those sessions. So yeah. uh, I definitely influenced it. Therefore, I'm down as some sort of like executive producer or something, you know? Yeah. So but we do know what he did do. You've lost all of them feelings. So yes. That's why I picked Which that one. Killer that song is, as well. It's just, it's, just, it's for me, better song than, than Unchained, Unchained Melody. I love yeah. Unchained. I love Unchained Melody. Jesus Christ. Uh, no, I love it as well. Absolutely love it. But I just think, I feel like an Unchained Melody, you're always waiting for the big bit. Oh, yeah, definitely. Like, it's yeah. it's brilliant all the way through, but there's one bit that stands out. So you've lost that love and feeling is 10 out of 10 from the first second. Yeah, it gets in. The last second. Yeah. yeah. So I don't know. I just prefer. Look, we're talking about two of the best songs of all time. Yeah, exactly. Um, so what happened was relationships started to sour down. I couldn't find much information between uh, around that time as to why the Righteous Brothers decided to move well i did i found a little bit about they moved record label away from i whatever record label specter was either owned or worked on i, I can't i couldn't figure it out either. you might know more about that than me if he owned his own one or worked for one it he, doesn't had, really matter. He, he had one earlier on in his career but he, he ended yeah. up making more money being a hired gun yeah uh, yeah later on. so so when they moved away to someone else and another producer he moved to verve mgm records and that led to Spectre suing them. So things got really kind of dirty then. Yeah. And um, he, what happened was Bill Medley continued to, I think he's 600,000 in the 60s. That's what the MGM had to pay Spectre. So he got nearly like the guts of. That would, that would have not far off most of the money made by that. You know what I mean? Back then. Yeah, yeah. Like yeah. that's such but a that, big deal. Here, here, here's the problem. They were so huge. That MGM, uh, Verve MGM thought that that's peanuts compared to what we're going to earn. Mm. But the new producer was Bill Medley and he tried to do the formula and all, but it just they never had the same yeah. amount of success. Yeah. So I'm sure they made their money back. But Phil Spector took the royalties of the other one and that 600 grand. <laughs> um, yeah, they never reached the same kind of uh, success. Mm. So, yeah, I don't know what else to say about that one. So killer, think, killer track, like and, and it's an amazing like, song, yeah. Like his influence is obviously written all over everything the Rogers Brothers done from that time yeah. onwards. Like you know what I mean? So oh yeah, yeah. I remember what I wanted to say now. Bill Medley said then in an interview because everyone gets like you said when the murder happens, they go back straight on the phone to all these people. Oh yeah, yeah. What was he and like? If you're, did he kill if you? You're clever. If you're clever, <laughs> did he kill you? <laughs> if you're clever and sound. You'll shut your mouth. Oh yeah, yeah. say nothing. Yeah, Bill Medley didn't. He goes, you know what? I we think that was an. I think yeah. that was an accident. Yeah, and everyone's oh, really? like, 
Why did she say it at all? Why well, do you know you're on his side? Shut the fuck up. Just say, listen, you've gone with us. Yeah, and the gas thing is, like, they had a really bad relationship towards the end, and he still yeah. said, I don't know. Like, with so little information, why do famous people have to they always have say to. something? They have to, don't they? They fucking have to. Imagine anyway. all the people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, we'll get to that later. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that was... Uh, You've lost that love and feeling from 1964. One of Spectre's best uh, two songs. Definitely. Um, who's your next one? Uh, my next one is my last one. And it's also last the last thing that he done. And it was uh, for the band Star Sailor, if you remember them. That's a, this is a mad one, yeah. This, this is, is bad shit one. mad, yeah. So, like, uh, in, initially, I would have thought, oh, there's a band with a few quid thrown around. Yeah. And it, it, it was a weird thing as well. So, um, Star Sailor came out in like the year 2000, like a post Britpop kind of rock and rolly indie band. They're, they're fine. They're grand. It's, it's, it's somewhere between like a little, like, do you know what they were like? They were like Coldplay sort of keen type thing. Yeah. Uh, but they never had like a, a good Coldplay song. or, or keen <laughs> song. Yeah. Yeah. Like to they're, be honest with you, they, yeah. they, not the way watered down. Yeah. No, they're grand, but it's watered down. Exactly. It was just, again, it's, it's the year 2000 and, uh, Britpop was starting to kind of wane and, but th- there was still labels, just every English fucking band in the world that had a guitar was just getting signed, you know? Yeah. And, uh, it, it was just happening. So the, the first album came out done, done particularly well, done all right. Uh, they're starting to get the shit together for a second album, but they're being, they're being kind of run into the ground on tours by the record label. And so, so they're playing every single night all over the world. And at one gig, uh, this girl comes up to them and goes, listen, my, uh, my dad is, is really, really likes yours, you know? <laughs> and they're like, what's, who, who's your dad? So my dad's is, uh, Phil Spector. And I'm like, excuse me? He goes, yeah, that's Phil Spector. Like, he, he, uh, he, he loves you. He, he wants to work with you. And they're like, they, they kind of, they know about the legends of, of, uh, of, of Phil Spector. Like, the last thing he had done was Jesus, like, 20 odd years ago. The last thing they'd done, I think, was end of the, end of the century by, by, uh, by Ramones was the last full record he'd done. Yeah. So, um, what you have to understand as well is that around this time, all these stories were coming out about, we talked about this on another podcast as well. I'll give it another quick, a quick run over. So there was these stories coming out that like Phil Spector was walking around his house all night dressed as Batman and stuff like that. That's and right. Actually, that happened. That started in, uh, that started earlier than that. Yeah. No, like, he, like he, he was doing these like weird little things where, um, he'd invite like a, a journalist over to stay the night. I know, stay for a week with him we'll, just to see his process, you know, because he's still mad famous. And they were like, he's so fucking mad, lads. Like, this cunt is, <laughs> he's, I don't know what to do with, with him. Like, he gave me a gun when I walked into the house and I had to just keep a gun on me at all times in the house and this type of shit, you know. But um, th- there was loads of stories. Like, as I said, apparently for, for a year solid, every single night he'd get dressed up in a full-blown Batman costume, um, mm-hmm. like an armoured Batman costume or whatever, and, and walk around, like, patrol his mansion. Uh, at night dressed as Batman but with guns strapped to him so uh, th- there was loads of this This like the legend of Phil Spector had grown because he wasn't necessarily active in the business so they said oh, let's give it a shot now apparently he was grand to work with uh, he was definitely weird and he showed up wearing one of the mad wigs and all this kind of shit he only ended up producing two songs 
um, on that's the true. album. Yeah, like, like you were saying, that's that's his thing. He yeah, wouldn't exactly. not do the whole album. Like, exactly. It's not going to be on the radio. He doesn't give a shit. Exactly. So um, these are like they're, they're not the. He, I think he was involved in a couple of other bits and pieces, but these would have been uh, this song in particular, "Silence Is Easy." Uh, would have been one of the kind of bigger songs I think that he was he was mm. involved with before he he gets uh, locked away. Uh, the album sold like, the album sold like nearly sixty thousand copies, which is still not bad even in two thousand and three. Yeah, you um, see, sometimes I forget that like a band like Top Loader and Star Sailor don't mad are, money to, like to, for a while. Don't mad money because it's, it's it's just simply red for a new generation. That's it's all. That kind of yeah. clicking our fingers. Everybody's <laughs> and you're looking at go, ma. What are you doing? Everybody's feeling young <laughs> and bright. Here's the problem, right? Here's the problem with these bands, right? I can stay away from these and they're fine. Yeah. Well, here's the real problem is, right? You always have someone on the outskirts of your life, right, that knows you like a bit of music and that's their entry point to talk to you. And oh, you have yeah. To pretend, you have to pretend that you're remotely interesting. Here I am. That new band, guitar, you know, it's guitars and drums and all. Star Sailor, they're deadly, aren't they? Like, yeah. Sure. Sure. Exactly. So apparently they, they they ended up sacking him off this album. I think he was meant to do the entire album. Uh, he ended up doing two. Well, I know. Like I'd imagine it's because he shot a woman in the face. It was that was that was a. It, it was just before same, it, yeah. same same time, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, it was. It was just. I think this was the the album came out in two thousand and three so this would have been 2001 2002 where i worked on the production of this <laughs> can thing you, can you imagine the gun god i can't believe our look that's really good look that we got phil specter to produce <laughs> exactly yeah exactly. two songs for oh god i knew it was too fucking good to be it's true. exactly yeah and um but yeah they, they ended up having to get rid of them because it was just uh, apparently like you didn't know who you were going to get uh on any given day one day come in he's 100 percent sound and he's like, you know, it's like, oh, that's a great idea. Let's try that. And the next day, he's absolutely like fascism personified. And he's like, you yeah. can't do this, you can't do that. And he had this whole deal. He's like, no digital recording at all. We have to. F- they went to Abbey Road. We has to be all analog, and we're not going to use any sort of effects. We're going to use natural effects. Uh, apparently, um, he brought in one like piece of outboard. He brought in like an, an echo machine or something like that because Abbey Road didn't have an echo room or something like that. Mm, so yeah. he said he'd use a digital echo to try and get his effects. And um, it, it, like I said, two, two songs, Silence is Easy and one called like The Dove Flies or I can't remember what the fuck it's called. I and remember he, reading about this and he, he, Phil Spector was convinced that this song was going to be astronomically big oh uh, yeah exactly and it came and have with, you heard it like yeah it's, it's all right it's just whatever you know it's just a song it's just it's a, a song, song. I, I think it's inoffensive it's there exactly it's just a song and i think he um like uh, i think he might have been out for so long and he was out of the business for so long that yeah. when his daughter you know someone bit younger was saying like these guys are like she likes him and so that's his only actual like influence in the world of what's happening in music because he's not like you said it yourself he only works yeah, on the big I think singles she, I think she just played the last album in the gaff all the time and he was like what's that yeah or she's like these guys are t- the next big thing he goes okay yeah. daughter I'll work with them if you want <laughs> and off he goes and it just turns out to be a fucking disaster where they don't know what to do with them and they, they don't know how to work like this because when, when they done their first album they said themselves they were kids they didn't really know what style they wanted to do when they're only starting to find their feet with the second album and then all of a sudden Phil Spector running around fucking Abbey Road 
with them and he, he's screaming at them one day and he's patting them on the back the next and they, they, you know they, they like the sound of that single of that soil uh, of that silent song and uh, like i don't i I think they kind of fucked themselves up there. I don't know what happened to this band after this album. The only reason I ever even heard of this album is because is cause Spectre worked on it's, it a little bit. It's Yeah, it's because they have fans that listen on the radio. And if their stuff is not on the radio all the time, those fans are not loyal fans to, yeah, to Star Sailor. Exactly. I'm sure they do yeah. have a few people that are. like I'm sure there's a lot of people that are. But they're not. They're, they're only given the amount of success that they mm. probably deserve. And they're probably a bit more, if I'm being honest with you. Like they're not like you said they're not either good or bad. They're no, just they're just there. a band. It's just lads so, who make music. Like um, yeah. they, they said themselves. Me, yeah, go on. Oh, sorry. No, the one thing that annoyed me is he, he he said that I remember reading about this and he was like when, when they, someone asked him he was like what what's he about the whole like uh, him shooting someone he was like oh, I saw I saw a photograph of him being like taken away in a car. I was sad, wasn't it? Sad. Yeah. Yeah, I said, oh, I, off, they, said they said, they said, it's actually written right in front of me in a quote. If he's innocent, it's an incredibly traumatic experience for a 62 year old man to go through. Seeing his sad face in that horrible picture where he's being taken into the police car with handcuffs on, his head <laughs> was bowed. It wasn't nice seeing him like that. That's a quote. Shut the fuck up, man. Like, you know what's worse is getting shot in the face. In the mouth, man. In the mouth. Yeah. He made her suck the dick of that gun. Do you know what I mean? And then said that she was kissing it. I wonder, did he get that call up the void when that gun was in her mouth? And wow. he goes, boom. <laughs> yeah, done. Exactly. What would happen? What would happen if I just fucking pulled that trigger? Exactly. Of he did. Here's the thing about, right? Here's the thing about... The big red button. Habitual abusers, right? Yeah. Here's what they always say about abusers like that, right? If you don't get away from him, he'll kill you. Yeah. People like that will always... That's why this is why I don't I don't believe that it was suicide. This is personally no, I, could be wrong. I, don't really, I don't really care if I'm wrong or right, but I'm just it just goes to mm. show I think that these people who are abusers for years and years and years and it goes unchecked and allowed, they will only push further and further and further mm. until someone dies. I honestly think that. Like mm. like that old saying of if you don't leave him, he'll kill you. That's a famous like thing that everybody's not famous, but it's, oh, it's yeah. a constant thing in the world that you hear said <coughs> because abuse just gets worse mm. it just does like i don't know yeah mm. i think i know he was extremely damaged goods he was so, fucked. I, apparently even when he was doing the star sailor um he kept la time so he wouldn't yeah. do uk time in abbey road it's like no we start work at six o'clock in the evening and we finish at like four or five o'clock in the morning because that's like a yeah, yeah, you know yeah. a, 11 till 7 type of situation in, in los angeles and they're like may like where, where, but apparently he was fucking mad like one of them walked in wearing a pair of Reebok runners and he was like what the fuck are they and he's like Re- Re- Reeboks he goes never heard them so right. they were yeah. oh right okay let's he was, I, 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 he was on his way <laughs> yeah so they, they said listen um, we're just going to sell produce our records from now on like it was grand and all but uh, <laughs> let's let's um, no, they, they, they all put their hands into a circle and they said we have to promise that we will never shoot someone and then we can produce our albums and this will never happen again. This will never happen again. Anyway, that was Star Sailor, one of the last Spectre yeah. produced songs. Like I said, he's on two on that album. I haven't even heard the other one, to be honest with you, whatever it's called. Dove Fly is, I don't know what the fuck it's called. Um, imagine imagine that was like a B-side. Was imagine a, a killer. <laughs> a more, I'm going to listen to it now when I finish, just in case it's an absolute fucking <laughs> rager. Uh, who is your last one? My last one is John Lennon because these are uh, some famous recording stories mm. of Big the, early seven, the early 70s. Um, imagine is from 1971 is 
ranked as one of the greatest songs of all time by most people. Like most people wouldn't disagree with it. I don't really care, or I lo- I really like Imagine, and I'm really really impressed with how special the production is on it. I think mm. as far as Spectre goes, it did a great job. The song itself, like if it disappeared from the world tomorrow, yeah. I wouldn't really care. If I never heard it again, it wouldn't bother me in the slightest. Yeah, it's weird. Like I do like it, but don't have any affection or affinity yeah, to it at all. Um, when I hear it, I always go, "Ah, oh, the, the drums sound like you know." Oh, the, every part of it—it's more of a production thing. I'm interested in with that mm. song, and but there are plenty of videos online of Lennon in the recording booth with Yoko Ono and Inspector, because he would uh, credit Yoko Ono and Inspector to be producers, mm. which. If you're Phil Spector, it must have been a little bit annoying because she is then sort of your peer yeah. in the studio when, like, whatever. she Like, she she did a great job at being a muse. Yeah. And probably if you like some stuff with the plastic Yoko Ono band or whatever like that. You're wrong, great. but, yeah. You're, you're wrong, but great. Play. <laughs> <laughs> but to have Phil Spector shout in to do something and Yoko Ono say, no, I don't think so. I think we should do it this way. Come on. Sickener. Come on. Like, Sickener. 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 But, he, but John Lennon, fucking, that's, that's what he wanted. Yeah. That's what he got. Um, personally, I would have wrecked my head. But they, they were the duo in the in the yeah. recording studio. He uh, he also produced George Harrison's solo stuff. Here's a mad one. Yeah. Harrison doesn't like it. He goes, that's too echoey. And a lot of people agree with his stuff is mm. is extremely, like, extremely echoey. Yeah. Like, if you listen, go back to listen to... Harrison's uh, solo stuff, which is I love it. I still think it's the best of all the Beatles solo Probably, stuff. Probably, yeah, yeah. But he might have overdone the echoey. Uh, definitely, George Harrison himself said it much, would have much preferred a cleaner sort of stripped down style. Mm, uh, style. Mm. But he was rapping songs as well, wasn't he? Yeah. <laughs> uh, during the recording, the covers album "Rock and Roll" nineteen seventy five, which is John Lennon's album, uh, doing um, a multitude of his favorite songs. And apparently, that was just a contractual obligation thing as well, wasn't it? I think it possibly was, yeah, yeah. but uh, he didn't. He didn't have a problem with it because uh, that, that's. I don't know. I actually, I don't really know much about the the origins of that. Album. I only kind of know like that. That was what John Lennon described as like the worst time in his life. Cause yeah, was, I think he had becoming, He had a record left on his contract, and he just wanted it over and done with. Right, okay, so still folks, we just one. do a covers one. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, this is considered the worst time of his life for him because he become estranged from Yoko Ono. And his relationship with Phil Spector was volatile at the time. Mm, yeah. Um, it, it's weird because they were having mad parties in the studio, mm. which is just that kind of debauchery is what John Lennon actually really loved. And I think that yeah. Spector loved it as well. The madness, like you said, addicted to that chaos. I think so, yeah. That chaos. And they think that that great music is going to come from it. A funny little story about that. They think that this is, you, like, think about it, right? Spector is master of like the charts mm. john lennon is seen as the greatest musician in the world at the time yeah Not musician maybe but you know songwriter yeah they what, where do they get their kicks anymore exactly they release what's he's left releasing, he's releasing songs with yoko ono that are just fucking bullshit and they're yeah. going to number one so along this is at, this at the time yoko ono wasn't in the studio for this one uh may pang was who mm. was uh john lennon's girlfriend he used to be the assistant for for the pair of them um told a story about how they all got kicked out of the studio yeah. because someone smashed a liquor bottle on the main console. Like, <laughs> so that's, that's, that's enough for, that's the that's the line with Phil Spector yeah. to kick them out. But the line that John Lennon had with him was when Spector fired a gun off in the studio yeah. and Lennon said that famous line, he said, listen, Phil, 
if you're going to kill me, kill me, but don't fuck with my ears. Yeah. I need them. It's like, <laughs> it's, it's, it's like without my ears, I might as well be dead. So yeah. just go go all in or nothing. You know what I mean? So it was around, actually around this time where uh, people started to hear stories that he was dressing up. And a famous story is that he used to do this all the time. And people from who, who came to the house and people who were from uh, said this. That he would turn off all the lights in the house. It, it, man, this is a mansion now. <laughs> That's that, that looks like a castle. Yeah, and he dress up as Batman and yeah. walk slowly around the house on his yeah. own. Okay. <laughs> so this is yeah. also around this. This is also yeah. around the time that he had that mad car accident. The, sorry, the, the images of that. Yeah, like the madness of of what went on in the house. So because he was mangled, some, like he was full, yeah, like he was, he was absolutely mangled by that car accident. Like yeah. So after that car accident, something changed with him and John. They were, he, he went missing after that, like, and didn't talk to anybody till one time. Uh, he called John, Len- John Lennon up and says, I have your tapes here. Yeah, and your master's okay, here. Yeah, can I have them? And he goes, yeah, um, I need loads of money. He went, mm-hmm. can't have the money now, you'll have it whenever. So he went, well, no, you're not having them then. <laughs> and then he walked around in his Batman costume. Again. Yeah. So eventually, John Lennon's and, and his label sued to get the tapes back. They got them back, right? Now, John Lennon, this is this is still thinking that John Lennon thinks everything he does, even in that state of absolute mm. madness, was great. He said he listened to them and they were just garbage. Yeah, garbage. Absolute garbage. He said we were all out of tune. The production wasn't even any good on it. Yeah. Uh, so the both of them partying and going full pelt at it all the time didn't produce it. So that was yeah. maybe a little knock to John Lennon's ego at the time. And at the same time, while he was soon Spectre, Chuck Berry was soon him. Yeah. Is, I mean, for lifting, yeah, eventually soon. Although I think I think uh, Specter asked, but before he gave the the masters over, he, he asked for ninety thousand pounds, and they gave it to him. That's not too much considering mm. he got six hundred from, from yeah. the Reuters brothers. Exactly, um, that's a very specific was, number now. So that means he owed somebody something. You yeah, know? I think after that, that was the last time that they ever walked together because uh, it was toxic. Do you know what I mean? Like that. yeah, they're just um, on until, the piss all day, screaming and shouting at yeah. each other. Yeah, until until John Lennon died, that was the last time. No. He did uh, produce a posthumous album. Is that how you pronounce that? Posthumous, posthumous. I don't know. I always say, I say, po- yeah, posthumous is what I say. But I think it's posthumous. Uh, yeah, it's called Lane or something like that. I can't remember the name of that album. Mm. And he did Yoko Ono's first single after John Lennon's murder. So until Star Sailor, nothing. Yeah, really. After that, uh, and crazy. Then, it's crazy, yeah. No one really wanted to read them. The stories of someone like that will get too much. You would want to... I think his... Te- Do you know what I think? I think his technique might have been sort of copied and done. It probably with, been done better by the time... Maybe even the, better with people who are not going to pull a gun yeah, and... Dress up as Batman, Batman or whatever. Batman. Yeah, yeah. yeah, and kidnap that wives. So, yeah, I don't, I, I don't think anyone really believes that... Uh, it wasn't a murder. If like, it's hard to tell, like in a whole thing of like loads of drugs and drink. Mm. But I think, I think when you put a gun in someone's mouth and it goes off, it's your fault. Yeah, yeah. So don't don't, don't be pulling that. If you have a gun, Grant, so, don't be pulling it so, out all the time. Like so, if someone said to me, it actually turned out to be a mad accident. I'd still go. I don't care. I'm still. Yeah, still put the gun. <laughs> at, you know whether yeah, it went off or not. Know. Like. I don't think she shouted yeah. it was Gaffer the gun. I mean, maybe I'm wrong. So, so it's hard to really put a, a little stamp at the end of this. A genius producer who found an amazing uh, way of doing things. Uh, but a scumbag. 
horrible person is. Yeah, just a bad, bad person. Uh, but it, it's a story that I'm glad we, we covered because he, he did yes. die and it was, it was we, we actually, I think we've talked about a Phil Spector episode for about a year. Yes, for ages. So as ages, soon as this ages. happened, we, we were like, we didn't know what episode we were going to do. It sort of made sense. Exactly. Let's just do it. It makes sense. He's dead. Um, mm. That's it for this week. We are back. Uh, back. When are we back? Monday after with a fresh podcast and uh, I think live show will be over. So it'll be two weeks for another live show. Uh, just keep your eye out on the social media pages for a live show dates. And uh, thank you very much. If you like supporting us, you've got the patreon.com forward slash the lost air podcast. If you want to tip us, you've got the ko-fi.com forward slash the lost air podcast or generally just go to lost air podcast.com and all of our links are up there. Do us a favor, rate it, subscribe to it, share it, give us a dig out on all that bullshit and uh, it's, it is much appreciated and it goes a long long way and our share goes a long way because we generally don't see the shares until like a week later that's the way facebook works so we don't even know if anybody's given that's us a the last thing yeah sometimes like especially with the live show yeah. someone like will post i'll see it coming up on my timeline days later i'm like right it's like on the day they share it on the day and it's great that, yeah you would we don't see it that's the best time yeah and I don't think other people see it either, but look, just try, please do it anyway. Um, exactly. Instagram's a really good way to share it. Really be exactly. Instagram's great. Uh, just share out a link to uh, whatever episode you're listening to if you like it. That, that's enough for people to get to the kind of the hub of all of them. We updated our list of uh, all, the, all the episodes as well on Facebook. Uh, the link is floating around there somewhere. Uh, so if there's something in particular you're looking for, chances are we might have covered it already. Maybe we're too prolific, are Is that a problem? We're too prolific? No. There's no such thing. We're too reliable? No, because you can <laughs> You can, I think at the start of, of, of something like this, we're, we're nearly two years into it and we still need to keep the pressure up. But if it got to the point where we had millions of downloads and we were doing all right, then you can sit back and start fucking scratching your hole. But I think if you start scratching your hole before anybody knows who you are, <laughs> you're just going to give it up, I think. So, right. you just, so, so what we're trying to say is share, please. Please share it. <laughs> tell people uh, that you like the Lost Art Podcast. Because I was looking at us like in the charts and all our numbers the other day, and they're real good. But I don't know anybody who listens to us, bar the people who listen to us all the time. So uh, it would be nice to get some new people on board yeah. uh, for our fragile egos as we get older um, going into... Uh, 2021 because <laughs> I'm old as fuck and everything hurts and it'd be nice to know that I've done something with my life uh, thank yeah. you very much uh, we'll talk much. to you again in a week's time uh, good luck and good night alright take it easy